You can't learn leadership by reading a book. You can't truly learn how to be a heart-led leader by just reading a book or even taking a, a seminar class. It, it, it takes some real time to learn how to be you know, a true servant leader. From Tallahassee to the Keys and everywhere in between, this is Education Elevated on the FLCMAA Podcast Network. In business and in life, in your family, with your children, and at work with your team, you can either be a self-serving leader, someone who cares not about the team but themselves first and foremost, or you can be a heart-led leader and serve others. That's Tommy Spaulding. That's his approach. That's his message in this educational hour. Good morning, Florida Club Managers Association. Um, I'm Tommy Spaulding, and I'm honored to be the host of our Heart Led Leader um, webinar series. Um, a few months ago, Beth and I were on a call together and we were talking about COVID and some of the meetings may have to get canceled, live meetings because of COVID and came up with this idea about um, doing this nine part webinar series. Beth, you can uh, move to the first slide. And it was such an honor to really call some of my friends around the world that are the, the greatest you know, heart led leaders and in the industry and so we're going to have an incredible um, two or three month, nine part series and uh, honored to, to really kick it off. Um, for those that don't know who I am, I had the honor to speak at the Club Manager Association National Conference about 10 years ago and met some incredible leaders um, and club leaders throughout the country and was introduced to the Florida Club and Manager Association, you know, about five, six years ago and just have dear, dear friends. And um, even though I'm not in the club business, I feel like I'm part of the family. So it's a real honored to be your host on this uh, part series. Beth, if you can move to the, the, the next slide. So those that have seen my presentation or read my books or know a little bit about my message, I, I really talk about heart-led leadership, really servant leadership. And um, I've been doing this exercise for like 25 years. And every time I, I'm, I'm training an organization, I was just in Desert Mountain a couple of days ago in Scottsdale with Damon Yorio's team. And uh, so anytime I talk to clubs, I, I gather the senior teams together, or the you know, the employees together, and I give them all sticky notes, and I give them, you know, two color sticky notes, and I give them like a pink sticky note and a blue sticky note, and I ask them to, to write the name of the greatest, um, you know, leader, you know, the greatest manager, the greatest boss that they've ever, ever worked for at any time in their entire career. It doesn't have to be their current boss, but the greatest manager, the greatest leader, the greatest boss they've ever worked for, and I ask them to write their name on, you know, the sticky note, and then I ask them to think about you know, if they've ever worked for, you know, um, you know, a jerk, you know, a, a self-serving leader, you know, if, a, you know, someone that was arrogant or cocky. And, and I explained to the audience that there's, you know, two types of, of leaders in the world. There's self-serving leaders, those that serve others, are, are, and then there's, you know, they serve themselves, and then there's self-serving leaders that serve themselves. So are you a servant leader where you serve others? Or are you a self-serving leader where you serve yourselves? And I asked people to write the name of the greatest leader on the sticky note. And then write their name of the biggest jerk on there, you know, they've ever worked for someone that's been a real tough person to work for, you know, a self-serving leader. And then we have, you know, this big wall that we have good leader and we have bad leader. And we ask people to stick the sticky notes there. And it's really interesting to see people think about, you know, who's the best boss, the best manager, the best leader we've ever worked for. Who's the, a, a true servant leader. And, you know, there's lots of names of, you know, who's someone that's been a terrible leader. And it's not that I look at the, the names and memorize these names, but it's just interesting to see this exercise because what the goal is, is that we all want our name to be on that, you know, that pink, you know, good leader piece of paper, the sticky note. We, we, would, we want us to be thought of as someone that has a great influence on the lives of others. And what I realized, as much as I love writing books, uh, you can't learn leadership by reading a book. You can't truly learn how to be a heart-led leader by just reading a, a, a book. Um, or even taking a, a seminar class. It, it, it takes some real time to learn how to be you know, a true servant leader. And that's really the essence of this nine-part program over the next three or four months is that we want to take you through a journey and we want to help you uh, and your leaders at your club to be truly heart-led servant leaders and more importantly, to build a culture at your club of heart-led leadership. And we believe if you can truly build a culture of heart-led leadership, 
that you'll have outstanding results and you'll have great member satisfaction, employees that love the work there and senior teams that's strong and all the things that, that, that we want. And um, I can't do that myself. So that's why I called my friends. And Beth, if you could just move to the next slide here. Um, Beth and I talked months ago and we really talked about, you know, um, if I had the opportunity to invite, um, you know, eight or nine of the greatest, you know, leaders in the, in the country, heart-led leaders and people in the industry and speakers and authors, you know, uh, who would they be? Well, first thing I said is, well, three or four of these people are all $100,000 or more. A couple of them are $150,000 to hire for an hour. So we can't afford them. And she goes, well, this, you know, just put, put it out there. And so, um, she, you know, we came up with, the, you know, a, a budget and, and I called a lot of these people and I just asked them, you know, I'm, I'm, I got this great, you know, I, I hate calling a client because I don't ever really feel like the Florida Cub Man Association is a client, you know, your dear friends. But I said, I got these great clients, these great friends, the Club Man Association that are going through a really challenging time with COVID right now. They're working their tail off. You know, would you consider doing it? And everyone I asked, except one, which I won't mention, they all said yes. They all said yes. Then I'll reduce. And a lot of times I just made a donation to their charity or Beth did. And so the, we, we, all, we got them all say yes. And and, and these people are the most incredible people. And you know a lot of these faces. And so I'd like to kind of just kind of give, give you an overview of why I chose each one of these people and how this nine-part series is all going to you know, culminate at the end in October to, you know, to really learn this journey of, of heart-led leadership. Our first speaker um, that we have is Lee Cockrell. And that's our next speaker on, on March, 9th, or March uh, 30th. And Lee Cockrell is now retired. And that's the bottom, uh, the bottom right with the, with, the, with the turquoise tie. And though many of you know who Lee Cockerell is, he was the uh, chief operating officer and executive vice president uh, for Walt Disney. And I think he spent almost 47 years with Walt Disney World. And he wrote the book, um, Creating Magic, which was a New York Times bestseller, which really is probably, I think, the, the best book on, on Disney. Um, but Lee, um, you know, had 40,000 people under him and ran all the parks at Disney and, you know, chief operating officer. And he also uh, started the, the Disney Institute. So he really has a great leg legacy there, really teaching, you know, what, what the magic of, of Walt Disney World is. But what I love about Lee is, um, you know, he's more of an old school. And, um, you know, he'll show up, you know, on, on a treadmill with a, with a coat and tie on, you know, he's more old school. But I hired I had him speak one time to um, an audience for my National Leadership Academy. And he really was vulnerable about his depression and his anxiety and what he went through um, when, he, when he retired. And I, I love that. And I'm, I'm sure he's gonna share that too. So Lee is someone that actually um, is unique of all these speakers because he has practical experience you know, running Walt Disney World, but then he also now has four or five books. He's on the speaking circuit and he, he's a thought leader and writing books on, on leadership. And that's Lee Cockerell on, on March 30th. The next one is uh, Walt Rockowich, and he's the, I would say, the bottom left, a guy that's kind of in a blue shirt and a um, uh, navy, navy blue uh, sports coat that's got a smile on, on the arm like this. And Walt is um, one of my two or three top mentors in my life. Uh, many of you remember Walt that I wrote about him in The, um, the Heart Bed Leader. Uh, he lives right down the street and uh, he's a dear, dear friend. Um, Walt uh, wrote his first book, uh, Transfluence that I had the honor to endorse uh, just came out last month and transfluence is basically transparency and influence together. Um, but Walt's claim to fame is um, that I wrote about in the book is he was chairman and CEO of uh, Prologits, which is a global real estate company. They basically own all the warehouse space in the world. If you have a warehouse, uh, you know, Prologits probably owns it. And it was, you know, a 20, $30 billion company and in the uh, 2008, in the crash, uh, the market crash, the company went from a uh, $20 billion market cap to a $550 million market cap overnight. I mean, just picture losing 95% of your entire equity of your company from 20 billion to 550 million. The CEO at the time was a narcissist. He was a self-serving leader. The culture was terrible. Uh, Walt actually resigned six months before he was the CFO. And, raised up to be, you know, the president and then resigned because he couldn't stand the leader. You know, he was working for a self-serving leader and the company was tanking. And uh, the board finally fired um, the CEO and hired Walt to come back and to lead 
um, which is going to come down in Wall Street as one of the greatest corporate turnarounds in the history of the S&P 500, because Walt took that $550 million company, took it back up to $30 billion and um, one of the greatest corporate turnarounds. And, and when you ask Walt and you'll learn about him, because I'm going to interview Walt, how did you do it? He would say love. I did it through humility. I did it through serving and loving others. And it's a really great story. Walt's uh, on the board of Marriott Hotels. He's the chairman of board of Penn State University. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask him a question about he managed to hold um, um, Sandusky, um, po Coach Paterno uh, firing and that whole terrible thing that happened at Penn State. Walt was uh, on the board and really was in charge of you know, handling that and um, dealing with really distressed um, situations. So Walt is an incredible leader, one of my best friends. And I think we're going to love, you know, really learning um, from, from, from Walt. Um, Walt has taken me down to Mexico to build homes for the poor. And he's just had a huge influence to in my life. And we're going to learn so much about heart led leadership and how he truly turned around one of these companies uh, because of it. Um, the next speaker after that is Cheryl. And Cheryl will be the top right corner there, the lady with the, with the glasses. And you all know about Cheryl that's heard me speak because I talk about her in every speech that I give because I think, in my humble opinion, she's the greatest heart-led leader, the greatest um, servant leader in corporate America in, in, in today. I would put Cheryl and Walt in that kind of same category, um, but Cheryl is, takes it to a whole, whole level. Um, Cheryl um, was um, a, a senior executive at Kentucky Fried Chicken, was fired years ago, became the CEO and president of Popeye's. We all know that story that I've talked about. Popeye's was inches away from bankruptcy. Um, you know, the stock dropped at $57 a share to $15 a share. Um, it, it was, there was lawsuits. It was the, the same store sales was declining and the, the restaurant needed to be remodeled. It was a very dated brand, Popeye's. And she came in and totally changed the culture of servant leadership. And she dedicated spending, you know, a third of her time pouring into her people. And she built a whole culture of serving each other. And she basically took this company nearly bankrupt, Popeye's, um, years ago. And she uh, turned it into a multi-billion dollar company and sold it to Burger King for incredible profitability. And um, she wrote a book called Dare to Serve, which became a New York Times bestseller. Uh, she's now uh, on the board of directors of Chick-fil-A. She's on the board of directors of Pier 1 Imports, trying to turn around that company, rebrand Pier 1. Um, she's just a legend in the business, incredibly bright, incredibly smart, and a dear, dear mentor of mine. And I've been telling her story for years, and now she gets to come on uh, the Florida Club Man Association webinar series and tell her story herself. Um, I'm so excited about having Cheryl on there. She's an incredible mentor. I serve on a couple of boards with her, got to know her incredibly well, and she's a dear, dear friend. Um, the next person after that um, is Liz Wiseman, and that is May 25th. And um, Liz Wiseman is a dear, dear friend. And a little shout out to my good friend, Matt Lambert, when he found out that Liz Wiseman was on the webinar, he called me up and said, um, I have always been your friend, uh, Tommy, but now I'm really your friend because I can't wait to have Liz Wiseman on our webinar series. He was blown away. Liz is, I don't know, $150,000 to hire. She is, uh, the only way I can describe it if you've never heard of her, she's the woman in the bottom center is um, I love Jim Collins, I think, and I thought about inviting Jim Collins to be on this webinar series, but there's reason why I didn't. But I think she's the female equivalent of Jim Collins. Um, she's one of the greatest researchers. She wrote the book called Multipliers, which was a huge bestseller. I think if you added all the books of all these authors, what they sold, Liz's book sold more copies of that. It was a huge legend book, like Good to Great, Jim Collins' book, and and Liz Wiseman's multipliers are probably the best-selling books of all time in, in business and leadership. And what I love about Liz is one is she's totally humble, and totally down to earth and incredible. And has an incredible history of working for Fortune 500 companies. But Liz is what they call a thought leader. So all these other leaders that I'm inviting, including myself, we write books on leadership. But a lot of the stuff we talk about, um, for me, relationships, servant leadership, has been talked about before. I mean, it's nothing new to what I'm saying. Um, a lot of leadership books we write are just recycled ideas, change management, culture, leadership, servant leadership, and so forth, customer service. They're just recycled ideas. But then there's a few people like Malcolm Gladwell, um, Jim Collins, uh, Liz Wiseman, where they create ideas. They create terminology. 
Um, they create um, language in corporate America. They think about things in a whole new way where it's brand new. And that's Liz Wiseman um, on May 25th. Just love her to death um, and been really um, just thankful that she said yes. And we're gonna really enjoy her. Um, after, uh, Liz, oh, by the way, Liz Wiseman is so funny as well. And she's just a, a normal human being. And, and she talks about her marriage and her kids and she's Mormon and she's got great stories on that. It's just an incredible um, story about who she is. Uh, next one after that is Chester Elton. And Chester Elton is kind of known as the apostle of appraise, um, you know, praising others. He wrote a book called The Carrot Principle. And Chester is the is the middle left or the middle right over there with the kind of the white and blue checkered um, collar shirt, kind of half bald. Don't tell him I said that. Um, he's out of New Jersey and just a fantastic guy. And he wrote uh, a book called um, uh, The Carrot Principle which is how do you dangle a carrot in front of someone? How do you truly motivate someone? And he's an incredible um, speaker and, and really teacher about how do you truly build a culture of, you know, of, of um, rewarding your employees and how do you motivate them? And how do you hold that carrot? And how do you treat them? And how do you really lead with gratitude? His new book's called Leading with Gratitude. Um, Chester Elton is a New York Times bestselling author, huge on the speaking circuit, just a wonderful charismatic guy, very, very genuine. All these people here are just totally genuine, heartfelt people. Um, after um, Marshall, we have Mark Miller. And Mark is the dead center guy. And I think you're all going to just love uh, Mark Miller. Um, Mark, um, I think he was like number three or four or five. He would never tell you the exact number of the first employees at Chick-fil-A, like um, 42 years ago. He was one of the first employees you know, making chicken sandwiches. And he rose up to become one of the top three or four, you know, leaders of all Chick-fil-A. And today he's in charge of all of their customer service. Um, and we know that Chick-fil-A has the, the greatest, you know, customer service uh, in the world. And so the guy that, you know, really kind of came up with my pleasure, um, the guy that's really in charge of all the um, customer service and leadership development for all of Chick-fil-A, the hundreds of thousands of employees they have is uh, Mark Miller. And Mark is uh, incredibly humble and genuine. And um, um, I think that um, um, we're gonna learn a lot from him because um, he's so funny and he's so applicable. And um, um, you know, he's written great books about it. I think he's got eight or nine books. He's written a book with Ken Blanchard. He's got a book called The Heart of Leadership. Um, he's sold millions of copies of his books, um, but he truly tells the Chick-fil-A story. And um, I'm gonna be interviewing him as well. And so I'll be asking you know, questions about how we can take Chick-fil-A's um, message into the club, into the club business. And, and Mark is a real dear, dear friend. I remember I brought him in to speak at one of my leadership, uh, National Leadership Academy fundraisers. We had about 300 leaders and he was our keynote speaker. This was a couple of years ago. And I couldn't find Mark because Mark was about to come up on stage. And as the lights came on, um, half an hour before when we we're having kind of breakfast, he was out there helping the Brown Palace staff bust the tables. He was going around to all the tables, picking up people's you know, eggs, that dishes they finished and busting the tables. And people didn't realize that he was actually the keynote speaker. He was kind of modeling servant leadership and he's just the greatest guy. Um, I actually skipped Marshall Goldsmith. We're gonna go back on, on, uh, on September 7th, Marshall Goldsmith. And that is the top middle guy with the, with the white beard. And Marshall Goldsmith, um, I think, I think he's ranked top three uh, leadership coaches in the world. Um, he'll tell you who his clients are, but you know he will. He coached Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. I mean, he's the top CEOs in the world. Their their head coach, and I love his um, his financial model. And I, I would never say this in front of him, but I think he like charges like you know a quarter million dollars a year or half a million dollars a year to be coached, and he he. Um, he tells the CEOs, if I haven't changed your life or changed your company, don't, you know, you know, here's the invoice, but if you don't think I changed your company or changed your life, don't pay me. And if you think you are, here's your half million dollar invoice. <laughs> it's incredible. But the top thought leader, he's got a great books called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Um, he's a thinker as well. Um, and he's really a business coach. And um, he's going to be coming to the webinar series, really kind of sharing you know, his 40 plus years of leadership coaching development and so forth. And his book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, um, is, uh, you know, truly incredible. And then um, last but not least um, is Ethan Fisher on October 
twelfth. Uh, and originally, Ethan was not part of our series. Um, we had one no from a friend of mine that said no, which I won't get into that. And I went to Beth and I said, Beth, the, the truth is, there's someone I want to bring onto this webinar series um, more than anybody. And he doesn't have a New York Times bestselling book. He hasn't run a Fortune 500 company. He has really no credentials that would uh, merit him to be part of this webinar series. But the reality is um, he'll change more lives of the Florida Club Man Association. He will have more people in tears. He'll move people's hearts in a way that no one will in, in the entire eight you know, you know, part, you know, webinar series. Um, many of you know who Ethan Fisher, he is the one that's next to the, the far left over there is the picture next to me with the brick wall in the background. I wrote about Ethan Fisher uh, in my book, The Heart Led Leader. Um, but years ago, one of my dear friends was that was running the general, general manager of the Brown Palace Hotel, called me up and told me he's mentoring a young man named Ethan Fisher if I'd come down and go meet with him. And I went to the Brown Palace and we had lunch with Mar Marcel and then across the table was Ethan Fisher. And um, he had an ankle bracelet on because he was, you know, 10 years, he was uh, out of prison with uh, ankle monitor. Um, and he told me a story, which he's going to share why he went to prison and why he served 10 years and what he did to, 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 to go to prison. Um, and he wanted to come out of, of prison and to do good. And he wanted to speak to high school kids about drinking and driving and um, uh, drug uh, abuse and second chances. And I heard his story and I just fell in love with Ethan and not only fell in love with him, but helped him write a, you know, his first book and helped him um, get on the speaking circuit, started inviting him over to our house. And he's really part of the fabric of our home. He's been at our home many times having dinner and um, he's a dear, dear friend and he's changed my life. Uh, because I learned a lot about forgiveness and second chances and not judging someone that has tattoos and spent 10 years in prison, which I think I, I did before I met Ethan. Ethan's really, you know, taught me a lot and his story is so powerful. And now he's now kind of on the corporate um, circuit as well, um, talking about culture because all the clubs that we, uh, people that we, that in Florida that, we, that, that work for us, there's Nathan Fisher, someone with a story, uh, with tattoos or maybe a criminal record or something that they've gone through in their past. And we need to learn how to love and serve those types of people. So that's, that's Ethan Fisher. So this is this, you know, nine part series I'm kicking off of Heart Led Leader. And the goal is by um, October 12th, when we end with, with Ethan Fisher, and I'm going to be emceeing all of these sessions and introducing all these wonderful people to you that you've really learned, you know, from Lee, from Walt, from Cheryl, from Liz, from Chester, from Marshall, from Mark, and from Ethan, and hopefully from me as well. And I want to thank the Clubman Association for, for putting this together. I want to thank um, Beth um, Sargent uh, for putting this together and for really believing me. Uh, I've never done the webinar series like this before, this, this scope with these types of leaders, and it's the first of its kind, and, and I'm really honored to be, uh, to be a part of it. Beth, if you don't mind moving to the, ne to the next slide. A lot of people have asked me, you know, about my new book, um, 80,000, and um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it today because when it comes out next year, I want to be in more depth, but I want to kind of give you an overview about um, leadership because I've, I've learned a lot about leadership um, over the last, um, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, teaching this stuff. And what I learned is that people won't remember how you led them. People will remember the influence that you had on their lives. And so people won't remember truly how you led them. I mean, people aren't going to go to, you know, Kevin Carroll, Matt Lambert, Rick Bayless, Chip Mish, Carmen Amaterra, Michael Field, Tony DeRico, Fred Fung, Michael Bradfeld, and, and Stephen and Ibis. These are 10 leaders, you know, in Florida Cup Men Association that I would consider dear friends, the people that have had huge influence in my life. And when I learned from them, is that they don't look at their position as some title. They, don't, they won't, you know, they know that people won't remember how they truly led them. What, what people are gonna remember, their employees, their team, is they're gonna remember the influence that you have in their lives. And influence has is, is been so overplayed. I mean, influence could be negative, you know, marketing and you know, everything with social media, the influence is, uh, it could be a negative thing. So I wanted to hijack that word back, influence, because that's, that's what heart leadership is all about. And when you learn from, you know, Lee and Walt and Cheryl and Liz and Chester and Marshall and, 
and, and Mark and I and Ethan, you're going to learn that leadership, heart-led leadership, true servant leadership, truly building a culture um, where you're changing the lives of others um, is all about influence. And how that whole thing really began, Beth, if you can move to the next slide, was um, years ago, I brought in a guy named John, John Gordon. And all of you know who John Gordon is. He lives in Florida. He's a dear friend of mine, and he's on the speaking circuit. He's written a lot of books. Um, and, uh, you know, you go to the airport, you always see the John Gordon books. And probably one of my favorite authors, by the way. Um, and he, he was speaking to my nonprofit fundraiser. And uh, he said, oh, I was on the radio the other day, and I heard that, um, that the average person, you know, you know influences, you know, you know, um, you know 2.8 people a, a day. And uh, he just kind of mentioned that in his, in his talk, 2.8 people a day. And so I, I took a pen and I wrote that number down, 2.8 people. And, you know, he was saying that there was actually some research done at a university that the average human being every day, whatever jobs we have, that we bump into meet people, the Starbucks person, the barista, the Uber driver, you know, the delivery guy that comes to our club or employee, but we meet 2.8 people, 2.8 new people a day. And that we have an opportunity to influence them. And then he just went on to, you know, something else. But as soon as he said that, it was like, God was like speaking to me and saying, that's an important number. And so I did the math and I, looked up, you know, what's the average age of a human being in, in North America, and it was 77 years old, that might go up and down, you know, year by year as health improves. Um, but, you know, if we take 77 years, and 365 days, and 2.8 people a day, and if you do that math, it actually comes out to 80,000 uh, people. And that's why my book is called, you know, 80,000. Um, is that in our lifetime, as a young little kid, as we grow up, to, you know, playing the sandbox in middle school and high, you know, high school and college and our careers, and now running clubs and leading in the club management business, you know, two point eight people a day, we're going to meet, we're going to influence, we're going to have the opportunity to have an impact on eighty thousand people. And I just said to myself, "Holy shit, that's just, that's a lot of people, eighty thousand. And I started thinking, "Well, what if?" What if all those people that you touched in your entire life, good and bad, you had a positive influence or negative influence, but everyone you've had an influence on, what if you all got together in the, in the, the same place? Like, what would that look like? And I started thinking, like, where, where do 80,000 people fit? And you all know it's, it's football stadiums. And it turns out there's actually 12 football stadiums in North America that have exactly 80,000 people, Lambeau Field, University of South Carolina, Notre Dame, I mean, exactly 80,000 you know, seats. And so I started thinking, wow, what if at the end of our lives, I'm, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to heaven. You might have a different belief where you're going to go, but wherever you're, you're going to go, right before you go there, when you die, right before you go to heaven or where you're, wherever you believe you're going to go, what if, what if we all walked to the 50-yard line at our favorite football stadium and we were by ourselves on the field? on the 50 yard line and we're looking up and we see all 80,000 people, every single person that we've had an influence on. And since we were a little kid, you know, all the way up till the day we died. And what would that look like? What would that feel like? And more importantly, what would you hear? Would they be chanting your name? You know, Tommy, Tommy, you changed my life. Or would they be cursing your name? Will they be standing up and giving you stand ovation because the, the impact you've had in your life? Or will they be booing you because of the hurt and the cause because you've thought about yourself your whole life? And when I first visualized that, that every person that I have an opportunity to meet, like after this webinar, I'm gonna get in my driver, we're gonna go to the airport because I'm flying to Salt Lake City because I have a client in Park City. And so I'm gonna get to meet new people at the airport and the flight. And when I rent my car at Enterprise and when I get to my client's house, we're having dinner with new people. Like I, I will probably meet five or six new people today. Every day in our lives, when we go to work, we're gonna meet new people. And we're gonna be around our employees and we're gonna have an opportunity uh, to influence these people. And there's not anyone on this call. There's not anyone in the club management association business that doesn't have a heart to serve others. I mean, you're in the business of, of, of serving others. But just because you're in the business of serving others, in the club business of serving members and serving employees, 
doesn't make you a servant leader. A true servant leader is someone that constantly always thinking about others before yourself and always thinking about the positive influence that you're going to have on the lives of others. And that's the journey that I want us to take over the next four or five months uh, until October 12th when we end our nine-part webinar series is I want you to be influencers. I want you to change the lives of others at your clubs. And I met, I, I mentioned the 10 leaders, Kevin, Matt and Rick and Chip and Carmen and Michael and Tony and Fred and Michael and Stephen and Ibis met the 10 leaders in Florida that I've, I've fallen in love with and love their hearts. But I've met club leaders, Joe Crennan in Virginia is one of my best friends. And I mentioned, I talked to Damon the Orioles team a couple of days ago in Scottsdale. And I've had the honor to meet so many amazing club leaders uh, throughout the country. And what I truly learned is the great ones don't really care about all the initials after their name. I know the club management business has all these great initials, which I don't really know what they mean, but you know, the certifications that the great leaders really don't care about those initials. The great leaders don't care about what kind of remodel and, you know, $30 million renovation or how many renovations and how many, you know, remodels you had in your tenure, you know, at your club. The great leaders don't truly care about, you know, growing the revenue from 10 million to 20 million or 10 million to 30 million throughout your tenure. You know, um, the great leaders uh, don't really care about, you know, what, you know, PGA golf tournaments have been held, you know, at your tournament or, or their merits that your, that your clubs have had. Um, what the great club leaders that I've met, they truly think of their, their, their lives um, as how many influence how much influence they can have in the lives of others. And I have this little thing that if, if I can wiggle my nose and create a culture in the club management business, you know how like everyone wears like a leather belt and you have like little notches on your leather belt or maybe your bed post, you have little notches. Um, you know, um, Tate, my son, every time he scores a goal, he puts a little notch on his bed so he counts all these goals he's had and there's all these notches on his bed. Wouldn't it be great in your, in your industry? I'd love to create this with you. That at the end of your career, you know, Kevin, Carol, you know, how you doing? You know, you end your career, what's your number? And he goes, five. You know, Joel Cran is, you know, 12. You know, and Matt Lambert, he's 17. You know, like everyone has their own little number. And what that number is, is how many club leaders started at your club and grew up in your club and you mentored, you influenced, you trained, you loved, you served, and then went on to become club managers. And um, if you think about it, um, that's an incredible legacy. And what is that number? I mean, you should actually keep track of that number because that's true influence is how many people have you mentored? I remember I had lunch with Rick Bayless um, in Florida a couple months ago, and I was talking about this idea. And he's like, you know, he knew his number. I forgot what number he said. He goes, he knew exactly what the number was, how many people that have become, you know, general managers and, and assistant general managers under his leadership. And when you mold these young men and women and, and send them on to other clubs, that's a reflection of, of you, right? It's kind of like network marketing where you're like, you influence someone, they go to another club, they influence someone, and that's your, that's your legacy. I'd like to kind of create that with you. Uh, Beth, if you can move to the, to the next slide. And so the, the book 80,000 comes out um, uh, next year. And it really talks about, you know, that we want to build cultures of results. I mean, you're, you're all leaders at the club. You're, your, 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 your members demand results. They, they want a great product. They, they want a great customer service. They, they want good F and B. They want good golf or whatever your club provides, but you have to provide outstanding results. You got to work within your budget. I mean, as a, as managers and leaders of clubs, you, you have a lot of pressure to, to, to perform and to have outstanding results and to way to create a culture with great results is you have to build a, you know, a culture of, of influence. And that's one of the things you're going to love about um, when, when Cheryl from Popeyes gives her presentation um, in a few weeks. Um, she really talks about she actually built her entire culture by uh, the staff influencing each other and, and pouring into each other and really, you know, building a culture of, of influence. And when you build this type of culture, you know, really amazing things um, kind of happen. If you move to the, to the next slide, um, Beth, that'd be great. And so this book that I'm writing, um, you know, 80,000, I'm really looking at all the people that have had great influence um, over my life. 
Um, and I'd ask you to do the same thing is to think about all the men and women in your life from when you were young, from maybe a teenager, when you were a kid in school, to college, to, to first job, out of college, to your whole career. Who are the people that had great influence in your life? And when you think about those people and you actually write them down, mine's Mrs. Singer, you know, mine's Jerry Middle, mine's Tom France, you know, these great leaders. Um, but when you, when you write their, these people's names down, so these people that had great influence in you, you know, you want your name to be on that, you know, that pink, pink, that, that pink sticky note, you know, who is the one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked for? I want them to write your name down. I mean, if we have to have, if we had to, um, to actually define results over this, you know, um, you know, nine part webinar series from, from, from March to October. I mean, if there was actually an ROI, what's the return on investment if Florida Club Man Association is investing money into this incredible, you know, nine part webinar series, what's the return on investment? What is return on investment? I mean, for me, I would love for every person that goes through this nine part program for your name to be written on that pink sticky note. Uh, when one day when I'm in the room with what your employees and I ask them to write the greatest leader that they've ever worked for, they don't put their first job out of college. They don't put their, you know, job when they're in high school, they put their current boss, you or someone that worked for you. We want them to write your name down because of the influence you had in your life. Um, everyone remembers Tom France. He's the bottom left um, with a picture with me with the chubby cheeks. But Tom France, he was the, the keynote speaker when I was 15 years old in high school, a sophomore in high school, fell out of school because I was dyslexic and went to my first Rotary Youth Leadership Camp. And um, Rotary was a big supporter of, of me when I was young. And Tom France was the president of Rotary. He was an HVAC guy, heating electrician, and just a wonderful young man at the time and now passed away. Um, but he was the keynote speaker when I was 15. And he was the first one to say, there's three types of people in the world. Three types of people there's the leaders there's the followers and there's the critics you know which one are you going to be and that was the first time when i was 15 to realize that i wanted to spend my life you know teaching and studying and understanding leadership and i know for a fact i wouldn't be writing books on leadership and teaching leadership and studying leadership if it wasn't for you know tom france asking that question you know there's three types of people in the world there's leaders there's followers and critics and then he asked me which one are you going to be and that's when I realized at 15 that we have a choice to choose to become a leader, choose to become a critic, or you choose to become a follower. And everyone on this call, and obviously you, I, I know you've chosen to be a leader, but once you've chosen to be a leader, then you have a more, some more important choice to make. And that is what type of leader you wanna be. And I believe there's two types of leaders in the whole world. You're either a servant leader or you're a self-serving leader. You either serve others or you serve yourself. And it's a choice. And Tom France really kicked that off when I was 15 huge influence in my life. And I wrote about him, maybe thousand. Mrs. Singer is my um, 10th grade um, teacher in, in high school. Those that know my story, I'm severely dyslexic. I got ADHD, ADD. I spent my time in the resource room in school, barely graduated high school with a 2.0 GPA because of my learning challenges. Mrs. Singer was the only teacher, only teacher in high school that really took me seriously that knew that I was smart. I just wasn't academic and solved my giftedness and um, asked me to join uh, an organization called DECA, which is Distributive Education Clubs of America. It's kind of like junior achievement. It's a business club in high school. And with my support of Mrs. Singer, I became a state champion in DECA and was a national champion, came number three in the national uh, DECA competition of entrepreneurship. And, and that was really what, gave me the confidence to, to move on in life. And Mrs. Singer really believed in who I was when I was getting all D's and F's. She made me feel like I was getting all A's and B's in life. And she was a huge influence in my life and still talk to her today. And the last one I'll just mention is, is Jerry Middle. Um, that's the middle there with um, the older gentleman with the white shirt. And there's no man on this planet that's had a greater influence on me than Jerry Middle. And I have a father who I love dearly and had a huge influence in my life. And those, you know, Frank DeAngelis, you know, huge influence in my life. And my grandfather, who's a barber, who had a huge influence in my life. But the, the one man that had the greatest impact of my life was not my father, was not my grandfather, was not my neighbor, was not my boss, was my insurance agent. Uh, that's right, my insurance agent, Jerry Middle. I wrote about him in my first book. I wrote about him in my second book. I wrote about him in my third book. 
but he's had more of an impact on me because he invested in me. Every week uh, for the last 20 years, I've either had breakfast, lunch, or dinner with him or a phone conversation if I'm traveling. Every week, he, he knows everything about me. He knows everything about my marriage, what's, my, what's going on in my life, my health, everything. When I got married, he, he's the one that said the prayer at our wedding. When um, Jill and I bought our first house, we didn't have any money. And I couldn't even afford a mortgage to get a house. So Jerry co-signed my mortgage so I can buy our first house. I mean, the things that he did, he, I was um, really angry at my, my church. And I, for years, I was not going to church. And Jerry kind of got me back going to church, got me right with God. I mean, the incredible impact that he's had in my life and still has. Um, and so the book that I'm writing, I'm trying to inspire people, you know, to be a Tom, to be Mrs. Singer, to be a Jerry, to have a huge influence on your life. And you don't have to be old uh, or a teacher or a positional authority to have this. On the bottom, on the top right over here um, is a picture of my son, Tate. And uh, my son, Tate, that all you know, is probably had the huge, hugest impact in, in my family. Of course, I love my wife. I love my older son. I love my daughter. But my, our 13-year-old our, our boy, Tate, has probably had more influence and more impact than all the lives of our family than anybody. I mean, he's just a natural leader of love. And um, he's a hockey player. And I think those that know me, he's one of the top hockey players in the country, he travels all over the world playing hockey. We're leaving for Nashville tomorrow to, for a hockey tournament. And he's um, an incredible player. Um, but what makes him great is not because he's a great you know, hockey player. Uh, there's a lot of great hockey players in the country. It's his, his heart to, to make an influence on others and to understand that at 13 and, and, and 12 and, and 11 and even at 10 years old. And a few years ago, when Tate was just 10, he played for this team in Colorado. And uh, the coach put, uh, uh, added another goalie on the team uh, named Christian. And he was kind of like a practice player goalie. He wasn't, the, the, this team travels all over the world uh, playing hockey. And these 10 year olds, the best 10 year olds uh, out there. And he put this uh, player on the team just to, to show up at practice. So there'd be two goalies uh, for, for scrimmages. And his name was Christian. And he really was not a very good hockey player. And these 10-year-old boys, they didn't outwardly, overtly tease um, uh, Christian, but there was a way that they made Christian feel like he wasn't really part of the team. He wasn't invited to the birthday parties, he wasn't invited to the team dinners. Um, he, he, they weren't high-fiving him in the locker room. You know, he was just basically that scrunt, you know, uh, Rudy type of player that went to all the games, got his ass kicked and beat up, but was never really acknowledged. And, um, Christian had some learning challenges. I think he had some health issues where he nearly died when he was young. And so he wasn't, he wasn't just a great athlete. And Tate kind of noticed that this kid was, was not feeling part of the team. And he, I, he was close to quitting. And it was, you know, a hard position to be in. You, you work your tail up, but yet you don't get to travel and play the games. And the players weren't really very nice to him. And so, you know, halfway into the season, this, this, this mother of Christian, um, Christian's mother calls me up on the, on the phone. And she says to me, do you mind sending me all the Saturdays in the fall, September and October, that um, your son is available? And I thought that was such a weird question. Like she wanted to know all the, the Saturdays that my son was available. And so I sent her like four or five different Saturdays that Tate was, was available. And, and then she texts me back. She goes, good, um, because uh, Christian is having a birthday party. And the only person he wants to have at the birthday party is Tate, because he's the only one that's nice to him. And so I was asking what dates Tate's available because I want to arrange my son's birthday party around your son's calendar. And I remember hearing that. And I remember Tate was just got named captain of the team at that time. And I told Tate, I don't care that you're named captain and that you might lead the team in goals and assist and that you're this incredible player. What I care about is that a, a player and a mom rearranged their birthday because they wanted you at their birthday party. And I think that really sums up kind of influence is do we live our lives where people want to rearrange their birthday party? People want to rearrange their lives because they want you included in it. You know, they want to rearrange their vacations. They want to rearrange their social plans to make sure you're a part of it. I mean, that's really the ultimate litmus test. 
is do we live our lives of influence where people want to be around us so much and do anything to be around us and change their schedules, rearrange their birthday because of the influence you had in their life. And my son, Tate, really, really taught me that. Beth, if you can move to the, to the last slide. Um, so this is all about influence. And I really want us to think about over the next, you know, March, April, May, June, July, August, you know, five, six months, this nine part series is I want you to grab, you know, a piece of paper, write down some notes over the next nine months. And, you know, hopefully one of those notes is, is really doing an audit of all the people that you have an opportunity to influence. I mean, 2.8 people a day over the next four or five months, you're talking hundreds of people that you're gonna have a chance to influence throughout this webinar series. And the goal is by the end of the webinar series, when Ethan Fisher and I wrap it up on October 12th, that, that you'll have this list full of people that, that you are actually being really intentional. But here are the people on my leadership team. Here are the people on my staff. Here are the members. Here are the people that I work with every day that I want to have a positive influence on my life. You know, um, there, there, I have customers and I have clients that are tough to love. And I'm sure that you have members that are tough to love. I have a lot of friends in the club management business and I've been around a lot of um, general managers that have to deal with you know, high maintenance members and they're tough to love, but you have an opportunity to be an influence on them as well and model what it's like to be treated with, with servant leadership and so forth. So please take out a piece of paper throughout the next few months. Please write down people in your life that you want an influence on and do an influence audit. And, and actually do an audit for yourself as well, which is really healthy. Think about all the people that had a great influence on your life, your coaches and, and managers and bosses and friends and neighbors, the people that had a huge influence in your life. And the greatest gift you can give them is write down the name of all the people that influence your life and call them up and tell them, email them. And if they're dead, call up their widow, call up their kids and tell them that you're their husband or their father or their wife had a huge influence on you. What a great legacy. We, we, we don't do that because we're so busy with these damn phones that we don't tell great people in our lives that had a huge influence in lives how much they meant to us. So the audit can go, can go both ways. Beth, if we can move to the one more slide. Picture of a chalkboard, and I want to close with my, my favorite story, and it's, after chap it's actually chapter one um, on, on, on 80,000. It's the first chapter. And to, to share this story, uh, when I when I contacted my publisher about writing my third book, usually you have to write like a, um, you know, 50 page business plan. Here's the book. Um, here are other books in the genre. Here's the audience. Here's the chapters. You have to have two or three sample chapters. You have to have a table of context. Here's the arc of the book. Here's the competitive analysis. Here's the marketing analysis. Like you have to convince the, the publisher why they should invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on this book and promoting it. It's, it's quite a process. I went through it twice with my, with my two books. And, you, and it's kind of a, a guarantee that you have to, it's called a book proposal. You have to do this book proposal to get a book deal. Well, my third book, I wrote this story out about to share with you about this teacher. I literally wrote the story out and said, here's what I want to write about. No book proposal. I just wrote the story, sent it to my publisher. My publisher, my publisher literally, she, she called me um, up on the phone after she read the proposal, she read the story. Her name is Tina and she was crying on the phone. She goes, you got a book deal. And so the, the story is really that powerful that I didn't have to write a proposal because the story of influence was so powerful. She understood my heart of what we want to do. So I want to close our little time this morning and kick off our four or five month, nine part webinar series with this story, a true story um, of a teacher. Uh, not just any teacher, um, but a, a math teacher. And she was an eighth grade math teacher. And she taught in Nebraska and in the Midwest. And she um, uh, was teaching um, eighth grade math, you know, in the early 1970s. And uh, her name was Mrs. Lynn. And uh, it was a Friday afternoon, the Friday before spring break. And it was the last period of the day of eighth grade. And then after that Friday afternoon, it was spring break for the whole, you know, school. And so try to, you know, try to teach algebra on a Friday afternoon, the Friday before spring break. And the windows were open, the sun was shining, the kids walked in the room, and there was 36 classmates 
and they were bouncing off the walls, walking in hyper, you know, eighth grade, you know, um, you know, mentalities. And, and they, she couldn't get them to calm down. And they were, and she just realizes that she's not going to be teaching math that day. And that she needs to pull an audible as great leaders do and great teachers know. And so she uh, asked all the students, the 36 students to rip out a piece of paper and put it in front of you with, with a pen. And she turned around on the chalkboard and she wrote the first and last names of all 36 people in the class. And she goes, what I want you to do is I want you to follow me and I want you to write on your piece of paper all 36 names of the first and last name of everyone in your class. And they all did, they all quieted down and they took out a piece of paper and they, they wrote all 36 names on the piece of paper. And then what she said is, what I want you to do during this class is we're not gonna teach math, but right before spring break, I want you to spend this, this hour really thinking about all 36 people in this class. And I want you to find one word that best describes all 36 classmates, each person, one positive word, what, one wonderful thing about them. What do you love about them? What do you admire about them? If you don't know about them, just, just know them from afar. What, what's the one thing you respect about that person? Right, right one word. And so they did that. They went through each one, Susie, a nice word, and Rick, a nice word, and Larry, a nice word. And all 36 names, they found one nice word. So Mrs. Lynn, she collected all the pieces of paper. The, the bell rang. It was Friday. It was spring break. And they all went away for spring break. And what Mrs. Lynn did over spring break was she took all 36 pieces of paper and she, she took out 36 clean pieces of paper and wrote the first name on each paper. And so Kevin got his piece of paper and then she transcribed all 36 first beautiful words, one, one words about Kevin, all 36 words. And then Sarah, she wrote Sarah's name in the piece of paper. And then she wrote, transcribed all 36 amazing words about her. She did this to all 36 classmates that each one of her students had a piece of paper with 36 beautiful words that their classmates said about them. That took a lot of time. That's what she did during spring break. When spring break came back and school came back and she got them back on a Monday morning and she handed out um, those 36 pieces of paper to each of her 36 students and she watched them. And they were quiet and some, some were, were kind of giggling and some were laughing and some were kind of crying and some were blushing, you know, you know, reading 36 amazing words about you. And she's, she, she was glad she did the exercise. And you know, a few minutes later, the exercise was done and kids fold up the piece of paper, put it in their pocket and they went on you know, teaching algebra. And that was eighth grade. And she never heard about that exercise or anyone ever, ever again. And then fast forward like five years, she gets a phone call years later, about five years later. And it was, a, it was one of those dreaded phone calls that, that any teacher, any parent does not, want to, does not want to get. And it was a phone call from a father of a former student. And turns out that, that uh, Mark in her eighth grade math class years ago, five years ago, uh, was killed in, in Vietnam, in the war in Vietnam, in, in the late you know, in the 70s. And um, they're having a funeral. And um, the father wanted Mrs. Lin to, to come. And Mrs. Lin actually heard that that happened and the whole town in Nebraska was having this memorial service for this fallen soldier. And she went, um, to the church and it was packed and she stood kind of in the back of the church just thinking about you know what a nice kid he was and he was the quarterback of the football team in high school and she remembered teaching him math in eighth grade and had great memories and she was walking to the park a lot he would go to her car after the funeral after the funeral and the father sees her and asks mrs lynn to come back to the house they're having friends and family at the house to a little celebration and to celebrate mark's life and so mrs lynn um comes to, the, to, to Mark's home, childhood home, and, and sees the parents with a bunch of friends, you know, eating sponge cake in the, in, the, in the family room. And as soon as Mark's father sees Mrs. Lynn walk in the house, Mark's father asks Mrs. Lynn to come back to one of the rooms. And Mrs. Lynn follows um, Mark's father um, into Mark's bedroom. 
And it was very obvious that Mrs. Lim was in Mark's bedroom because there was a Cornhusker, Nebraska Cornhusker duvet and all the football trophies. And, you know, it was definitely his childhood uh, bedroom. And he, she just got, you know, goose pimples and just was just, you know, looking at this kid that was now killed and, and gone. And then at the corner of Mark's bed, there was an infantry helmet, an army helmet, and she couldn't keep her eyes off the helmet. And the father noticed that she was looking at this helmet. And so the father walks over and picks up the helmet and hands it to her and said, there's something in here that I want you to, I want you to have. And Mrs. Lynn takes the infantry helmet and turns it upside down and tucked in that little rubber band that holds the infantry helmet was a, was a piece of paper all folded up that was five or six years old, scotch taped and yellow stained and dirty. And Mrs. Lynn opened up paper that was tucked under the helmet. And it was that in her handwriting of Mark's name in 36 words on that piece of paper. And she couldn't believe she was holding the piece of paper that she handed Mark years ago in that eighth grade class. And the father said, that piece of paper literally changed my son's life. He read it every day for months, if not weeks, and he kept it in his, piece of, in his pocket always. He never left home without that piece of paper. And he kept it for years. And when he was killed in, in Vietnam and when they found his body, that piece of paper was stuck under his helmet. And I want you to have that because of the influence you had on my, my son's life. That's the influence that we want to have on the lives of others. This is an eighth grade math teacher that had students, you know, a couple times a week for a semester teaching algebra. And we as club managers have hundreds of employees that come to our facility every day that call your club home. We have neighbors and friends. We have hundreds of, we have thousands of people. We'll have 80,000 people in our life that we have the opportunity to have an influence on. And we have a choice. Do we want to be Mrs. Lynn, where years later, people are still talking about the influence that you had in our lives? Um, that's what heart-led leadership is all about. Um, heart-led leadership is not just about leading people. Because people won't remember how you led them. People remember the influence you had in their lives. And I think we're all called to, to love and serve all people and to, and to build cultures that are clubs to to serve and love people and to have influence on people, our members and our employees, our staff. We, we want to have influence on our spouses. I want to influence my wife and my children. We want to have a great influence, but how do we do that? How do we become heart-led leaders? How do we have a positive influence in lives? I mean, how do we do it? You can't just read a book or, you know, watch a class. And hopefully this, you know, nine-part webinar series will move your head, move your heart, and teach you each webinar series will bring you closer and closer to becoming that heart-led leader. And you'll get to learn from people that have actually done it in their companies. They've actually built companies with heart-led cultures and you'll get to meet authors and leaders that have written about it and studied about it like myself. And um, I'm so excited. I have so, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for Florida Club Man Association. And this is no bullshit. I did 100 to 200 talks a year, you know, stadiums of people. That was my job as a speaker and as an author. You write books and you speak at ma major conferences. And that was my job for 15 years. And then I got great purpose and passion of speaking to millions of people. And then COVID happened. And as it changed all our businesses, no one was hiring me at all. There was, there was, there was no one hiring anyone to have a speech of 30 people, let alone 10,000 people. Um, and it went from, you know, a couple hundred a year to zero. And then I started doing some webinars and, you know, uh, you know people got kind of zoomed out and webinared out. And, 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 and as much as I enjoyed webinars, I'm in my home, I'm talking to a computer right now. You're in Florida. I, I'm not with you. And so it was, it was really hard. And I went through some probably little depression and sadness about my purpose. And, you know, I can't just write blogs and, you know, how, how do I make an impact? And Beth Sargent, Matt Lamper, and Kevin Carroll, and these Rick Bayless, and some great friends in Florida said, why don't you start going around Florida and going into the clubs and speaking to the leadership teams? Then I went to the West Coast, and that Tony uh, DeRico and Fred Fung and uh, Michael Bradfeld and Carmen from Mediterranean brought me into their clubs. And I started going into clubs and talking to their team and, 
it was the most rewarding work. And now I'm traveling all over the country, visiting clubs and going into their, their senior teams and giving heart led leadership presentations. And, and it's just won my heart and it's got me back working again and got me back making an impact. And, and the truth is the influence that this has had on me is that when my next book comes out, I'm not sure the stadium speaking is ever going to come back. And I'm not sure I even want to do it because now I, I see the impact when you go into a club and you get 20, 30 of their leaders in a room, you spend a couple hours with them, you know, that, that's impact. And so thank you, um, Beth Sargent and, and many of the leaders at Florida Club Mount Association for inspiring me to, to rethink my model and for allowing me to come into your clubs to, to teach this stuff. And then for allowing me to put this incredible webinar together that's going to change the lives of others over the next four months. It's such a blessing. I'm so thankful. Um, and so I'm going to bring back Beth. She's going to kind of tee up our next thing. But I hope you have a wonderful spring break, a wonderful couple of weeks, and we'll see you on uh, March 30th with uh, Lee Cockrell.